Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. This week's message is by our senior pastor, Donna Astern. Any of y'all like to watch those um, makeover TV shows where they either take a room and they completely redo a room or they completely redo a house or a yard and in some cases they, re, they redo <coughs> a person, you know, and the, they, uh, they have a show called 10 Years Younger and they'll do not only just, um, you know, clothing changes, but they'll do dental work, I mean, all kinds of stuff on person, on those type of makeover shows and those type of things are, are pretty popular and I enjoy watching them and I've seen a number of them of various kinds and and uh, you'll have somebody who comes out who's an expert and they've got a design for what this house could look like or what this room could look like or what this person could look like and so they come in and basically they um, on some of the shows you know it's kind of done because their friends coerce them into to doing that but the idea is to put yourself in the hands of an expert and even if you think what you've got is workable or looks pretty good by the time the expert gets through, you'll have something that'll be much better working or better looking or, or something that's more functional or whatever. And, and I enjoy those, those type of things. It's all about transformation. It's all about remodeling. And so tonight I want to talk to you about your heavenly makeover, your, your heavenly makeover. You know, some of us would love to have an expert come in and just take over our house and make it look like something that's, you know, you put in a magazine or, or come in and work in our backyard and make it something that the, you know, better homes and gardens would want a picture of or, or come into your wardrobe or something and, and come help. And I was watching one of these shows the other day and, and um, I was reading also an article about this and this woman was saying that it's amazing how many people think that what they have looks good, works, is you know complimentary until the expert gets there and says what you have really needs to be overhauled and sometimes people get offended about that what's wrong with my style I've only had this hairdo since 1974 uh. you know what's wrong with it you know <laughs> I even know there are some fashions that we're just glad they retired <laughs> just glad they retired but but when the expert comes in and, and says, you know, it can be better, there's one of the shows that there's always a guy, there's a guy who always wants to redo people's hair. And every time he comes in, you have the women, and they're always nervous how much you're going to cut, how much you're going to cut. And I've watched this guy because he teases them because their, their back is, is to the mirror, so they can't see what he's doing. And so he's clipped on the back, and what he does is he drops it in their lap. And he'll <laughs> to tease them with how much, three inches, five inches, whatever, that he's dropped right there in front of them. And they get all nervous. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And then he'll color and style and he'll do all those kinds of things. And invariably, by the time he gets done, he wheels them around, they look in the mirror, and they're amazed at what happens when they put themselves in the hands of the expert. Someone who maybe had a better eye for what the potential was of what could be there, you know. And I think that's something that has appealed to me over the years. I thought if I just had an expert to come in, step in, and tell me what to do with whatever, my house, my yard, my wardrobe, something, if somebody else could come in. Because I don't, I'm not an expert in those areas. 
And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how we have all of these ideas about something that's maybe been functional, maybe been working for us, something we know we're very familiar with. We've had it for years and years and years. And yet, maybe it's not the best. Maybe there's something else that God has in mind that if we would let go of this, we could receive something better that we'll actually be happier with. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 15. All of these type of TV shows and businesses are all about makeovers and remodels and personal reinvention, those things. You know, it's not being limited by the past, but it's learning from it. The end result is always better than what you could do on your own, right? The end result is always better. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, it says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We shall bear the image of the heavenly. Now, in this context, he's speaking specifically about resurrection from the dead, that the body that you have, um, that you're going to have, is going to be a reformed, glorified body with no sickness, with nothing wrong in it, right? The body that you're going to receive is going to be one that's imperishable. But I wanted to expand this because I believe that it's not just talking about physical resurrection of the dead. Because he's talking about it's, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Just as we have already got the image of the natural, already we've got that natural stamp. But now we're going to receive, the word says, an image of the heavenly. And using the illustration here of Adam and Jesus, when God created Adam, the Bible says that he became a life-giving soul. So Adam was, the, the word Adam is from what? Earthy, right? From the earth. So Adam was very much God's man with the mark of the earth upon him, but created in God's likeness. But the word says here that Jesus, the second Adam, has come that we might not just bear the image of the natural realm, but we might also have that image of the heavenly realm. So I think it's time for us to be serious about our spiritual makeover because there's a lot of things that may be natural to us, but we want to ascend and transcend those things till we're entering into a supernatural, heavenly image, not just a natural image. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he came, the Bible says, he looked like everybody else, right? His, his face was nothing normal. I mean, people, he could blend into a crowd. He looked like a normal guy. He, more, he wore the mark of Adam because he looked like an ordinary guy. But Jesus didn't live and behave like an ordinary guy, did he? Because what was more, 
him than just the physical, the earthly stamp, was the heavenly image that he walked in and lived in. He was much more uh, in a representation of the image of heaven than a representation of the image of earth. And where it says here in your Bible, it says the image of the heavenly, that word image means resemblance. Jesus' resemblance was much more of the heavenly realm than his resemblance was of the natural realm. And if we look at my life and your life, you know, I've, I could do a little bit pulling back and say, hmm, well, which one do I resemble the most? We all have the mark of the natural, but how much are we seeing enough of a heavenly makeover to where when you see me, you're seeing Jesus, to where you're seeing not in the natural realm, but you're seeing the image, the stamp, the mark of heaven upon me that comes from having the expertise of the master upon our lives. Jesus lived his life with purpose. He lived his life completely in the Father's will, but he came here as an agent of change, didn't he? He didn't come here to just live the ordinary carpenter's life, but he came here sent with a mission from Father God, and he, sent, he was sent to fulfill that message, that mission, and that mission was to change all of humanity, was to set the seeds in motion through the work of the cross to reveal the heart of Father, to bring about redemption, but it was to change the, the deteriorating, destructive path that all of mankind was on. Jesus came to bring a transformation and a change. And so he lived his life completely in the Father's will as an agent of that kind of change. And so consequently, he, didn't, he had no experience with lack, did he? If Jesus ran out of food, what did he do? Tap into the spirit realm, right? In the heavenly realm. Well, there is no lack in heaven. Isn't that true? So when there's a lack in the natural realm, Jesus says we need the mark of the heavenly and just multiply the fish and the loaves. Next thing you know, we have it. When it looked like people were trying to kill him prior before it was time for him to lay his life down, his life down the word says that Jesus just walked through the midst. Now, how do you pass through a midst of people who are trying to kill you? And, I mean, how do you pass through? It's because he accessed something in the spirit realm, the heavenly mark, that enabled him to walk right through a crowd of people bent on killing him, and they didn't lay a hand on him. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. If the natural realm was not sufficient, he was able to access into the heavenly realm. And so he was much more heavenly realm because everybody around him was complaining about we don't have this and we don't have that. We don't have enough food to meet the crowd. You know, there's a storm blowing. I don't have a ship to get there. It didn't matter what the circumstance. People came from an area of lack. I don't have what I need. Jesus is in the same situation, but instead of being limited in the natural realm, he just turns over and taps into the, into the spirit realm into the heavenly realm to where there was no such thing as an unmet need when Jesus Christ was there. Can you ever imagine that? You know, the only time it says Jesus was hungry was because he was deliberately fasting and deliberately being led by the Spirit of God into temptation, right? But other than that, you don't hear about him being hungry at any other time. And one reason is because the Scripture promises that I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed out begging bread, right? Righteous people are not to be hungry. Okay. Jesus was committed to filling his destiny. You know, he suffered no setbacks. There are so many times that you and I have wanted to, 
advance and make great strides for ourselves, for our careers, for our family, for the kingdom in whatever aspect. And you and I have suffered various setbacks from time to time, which hopefully we've all begun to learn from, from those setbacks. But you know what? A setback was never meant to be a permanent you know, end to your quest. It was never meant to be the end of it. It was meant to be a time to where we get a hold of God and find out how to get past this mountain, how to get through this set of challenges into the next, into the place of victory. Amen. And so Jesus didn't have any setbacks. He adjusted to every challenge that was raised up with love, with the scriptures, and with the power of God because he's committed to fulfilling his destiny. So why did Jesus come? The Bible says, for this purpose, the Son of Man was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, not for his own self and not for his own sake, but for our sake, he came to destroy the work of the enemy, right? So how did he do that? Well, as a man, as a man walking on the earth, he was casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the, God, raising the dead, uh, preaching love and forgiveness and the kingdom to people, accepting those who've been rejected by society. I mean, Jesus was doing those type of things, and then ultimately, in the work on the cross, he broke the legal ground for the enemy to come and to expand his kingdom in our lives. Amen. And so Jesus came to destroy the work of the enemy. And so he, he came to set us free from the power of darkness. And why, does, why do you and I need to be set free from darkness? Let's not even talk about the going to hell thing. Why do you need to get set from darkness right here and right now in the number of years you have here on this earth? Why is it important that you be set free from darkness right now? Because God has a dream for you. That means you've got to be set free to fulfill it. If the devil can keep you bound up with hurt and offense and rejection and defeat and failure and all those kinds of things, then what's that going to do? You're not going to be able to fulfill the dream that God has for you. But God intends for us to be victors, overcomers. Amen. Because you know what? When we are set free, we can set somebody else free. I've been delivered, y'all. Because I've been delivered... I can help somebody else get delivered. You ever have, you know, the Lord minister comfort, healing, encouragement to your heart? What are you able to do? Take the very comfort that God has given you and help somebody else receive their comfort and their healing and their freedom, right? But if you are so beat up and so wounded by life and beat down and oppressed, you don't have anything to give anybody else, right? I mean, you're at a place where you always need prayer, you always need ministry. And all of us have been there from time to time, but at some point, folks, we've got to get to a point where we're healed enough and free enough to where we can be a blessing to somebody else because that's the intent, is that no longer are we held in chains by what the enemy is doing, but we have gotten free, and then we're going to help somebody else get free. How many of you are glad somebody else got born again before you? They could tell you about it, amen? Amen, because somebody else got healed, they could tell you about it. Because somebody else got delivered, they could tell you about it. I mean, all of us right now, we are a product of the good news that we've heard before of what other people have seen in the Word and what other people have experienced. We have learned that we can walk in those things too. And greater things, Jesus said. Amen? Amen. 
So we have a destiny to fulfill as sons and daughters of God, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, as members of the body of Christ. There are so many people, they don't even know what their function is in the body of Christ. And if you don't know what your function is, then you're not going to be able to fulfill it, are you? You know? If you don't know what your function is, then so many people, they wander around. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what God wants for me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, this looks good. Well, that looks good. That's like trying to do the makeover with no vision. You know, we think, well, this lamp looks good. I don't know. I picked it up at a yard sale somewhere. And God says, but that's not you. That's not fitting in what I've called you to do. It's not according to your gifting and your calling. And so God's wanting us to find out what our individual calling and gifting is. Our destiny is to go and make disciples, Jesus said, right? To go and make disciples. To destroy the works of the enemy. To release captives. How many of y'all like to cast out devils? It's fun. It's fun to cast them out. You know what? It's the work of Jesus to release captives and also to establish the kingdom in every aspect of human life. You know, some people are called to establish the kingdom of God in society, in places like industry, in education, and in government. Do you know that all of the, the moves that have happened in, in Western society, for sure, I know that from England and here, just off the top of my head, do you know that all the improvements that have happened have been as a result of Christians in the workplace? It's because Christians got behind. You know why we don't have child labor like they do in other nations? It's because a bunch of Christians got behind and instituted laws, and so now we've got child labor laws. You can't put your four-year-old to work in a factory like used to be many years ago. And now we look on that and we think, well, that's horrible. Yeah, but somebody was raised up by God to be a voice of justice to be a voice of righteousness and to bring the kingdom of heaven and to set the oppressed free. How many you know children should be able to play and not have to go in a factory for 10 hours a day, right? There's a, there's, I mean, there's a blessing with that. It's the intention of God, right? Yes, they all need to learn to work, but at four years old, there's not a whole lot of person, <laughs> you know, you could do a little bit, but yeah. There needs to be some compassion mixed in there, right? All right. Our destiny and our calling is to establish the kingdom of God in every aspect. Jen and I were talking earlier about a business and about how in the midst of a society which many times has cutthroat business people who operate without integrity but just, you know, all concerned about the bottom line, this particular company is particularly founded by people who believe in taking everything they've learned from the Word of God and putting it into a very practical form into the workplace. And so it does affect, you know, it's not just a separation like so many people do. Well, they have the weekend behavior and they have the Monday through Friday behavior. This is wanting to integrate every aspect of life so that we are light in dark places. You know, there are Christians sometimes who develop reputation for having high levels of integrity and standard in government where God's called them to be, in business where God's called them to be, right? Not just in ministry areas. But there are people many times who are called by God, this is your role, is to be a light in a dark place. So for everybody who wants to quit their job because they're the only Christian working there, you need to go repent. Right? Because it may be that God's got you there just so that you can be a little bit of light in a very dark place. You know, many years ago when God called Oral Roberts 
he told him, I, he said, um, go, and I can't remember the exact quote, but the gist of it was, to go where my light is dim and where my voice is, is heard small. There are so many people, they want to do something for God, so what they want to do, let's go join Mega Ministry. Let's go join Mega Ministry and be a part of something, you know. It's like, you know what? God says, go where my light is dim. And that's why a lot of people, they are going. They're going to places where there's not a whole lot of ministry going on. They're going to places far in fields, absolutely, but also places inside our country. People who are going to urban areas or rural areas where you're never going to have a mega church. You know, there are people that are called to college campuses. There are people who are called to high school. Places where they may only impact, you know, a small group of people. The thing is that God's called each one of us to be light and light in a dark place, right? To be salt in the earth, Jesus said. Okay. So if we're going to have our makeover and bear his image, so what's the first things first? You know what they do in these makeover shows? On one of the wardrobe ones, what they do is they make them bring all their wardrobe in and basically they throw it all out. You don't get to keep your favorite shirt, you know, from 1963. You don't get to keep that stuff. They go in there and they just pitch everything that they've got. And they say, we're going to start from scratch. You know, they do the same thing in a lot of these makeover shows. There was one show, I don't recall the name because I've only seen it a time or two. They took everything in the room out of the room and put it outside in the yard. And, you know, then somebody else would go through it. You didn't get to go through your own stuff. Somebody else went through your stuff. And, and they would pick out what goes and what stays, and what goes and what stays. And sometimes it was hard for folks, because I mean, we've lived with this thing for many years. Who are you coming in here telling me whatever? Do you know what? There are some things that God wants to do a makeover in us, some things that are hindering us from walking as salt and light, some things in our lives that he wants to break us free from. He says, you know, you really don't need that. You really don't need that old thing. I want to bring something new to you so you can fulfill your call. And, as, and that means also, you know, for some of us, you know, it's moving us way out of our comfort zone, way out. It's just like you've got, you know, waist-length hair, and, and they want to give you something above your ears. That's a very dramatic change. There are some things that God is doing in our lives that seem to be very dramatic and difficult to embrace when God's talking about making major overhaul, upheaval as to what's going on in our lives. So, so what's the first thing if we're going to fulfill our destiny and calling in God is the first thing is you must be born again, obviously, right? But you know what? It's not enough to be born again. You need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. So if everybody that says, well, I don't think I need all that, my church don't believe in that, then you're wrong because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that Jesus himself did no miracles outside of he, before he had the power of the Spirit, right? All right, so we're, we're going to need that. Guess what? You need to be healed first. Yes, you can do things on some level, but for you to really be effective, you've got to get healed. And I don't mean just physically healed, which is important, but you've got to get healed of your rejection. You've got to get healed of your fear. You've got to get healed of your performance orientation. You know, all the things that get in the way. And if you've suffered any kind of abuse whatsoever, you need to be healed and made whole and know that you're loved because you belong to God and for no other reason, not because of what you do. And so we need to be healed. We, every last one of us, need to be delivered. 
anything where the enemy has been working overtime to tear us down again and again. Maybe you've got an, a critical spirit that you've inherited from your family line. You know, that thing needs to be evicted. Maybe spirits of accusation or spirits of jealousy or envy. envy. Those things will hinder you. You know, recently, I remember um, we, had a, um, we had a dream that was submitted by someone for your interpretation. And in the midst of the interpretation, the whole thing had to do with attitudes towards those who had committed a particular type of sin. And the dream revealed that the dreamer had a negative attitude towards this type of sinner. Well, guess what? If you've got a negative attitude towards a type of sinner, it's going to be real difficult for you to be able to minister to that person, right? Okay, let me break it down to you. Let's just say, for example, you've got a real problem with people who would steal, with thieves. I mean, to the point to where it makes you so furious that you would, you would call the cops. I mean, you just would just have no mercy on anybody who stole so much of a pack of gum, right? No mercy. If you have a judgmental and critical attitude towards a person who has stolen, then how is God going to bring someone into your life for healing and ministry if you cannot extend some kind of compassion to them and not see this as a person who is caught in sin that needs to learn, that needs to be healed and free and delivered, right? So we've got to be to where we can't just point the finger at people in their sin, but to be that bridge so that we can be a person who can help redeem and redeem the circumstances. Let's get them out of that mess into a place of freedom and wholeness, right? And so God will deal with attitudes of our heart to say, you know what? You've got pride. You've got envy. You've got this or that that is going to have to go if you're going to be effective to help somebody else, you know, become free and move forward in the things of God. And so we're going to receive our own salvation, our healing, our deliverance. It's also important for each one of us to know where we fit in the body of Christ, to know what your gifts are, what your callings are. You know, and God, the Bible says the Holy Spirit has given us numerous gifts, and He has set us in the body as it has pleased Him. So find out how He has set you in the body. Most people are not called to be public speakers. Most people are thrilled that they're not called to be public speakers, right? Most people are just thanking God every day. Hallelujah, not my calling, glory, <laughs> you know. But there are people who are called to be public speakers, you know. And for them, it's very uncomfortable not to open their mouths. They got to have something to say. Gotta, you got to listen to me, right? I remember when I first started teaching, I was having so much fun teaching. I says, I'll pay you to come. And the guy said, how much? <laughs> <laughs> But there's other people, they're like, you couldn't pay me to get up in front of people and speak. See, guess what? There's different callings that God's got for each one. But it's also discovering where you fit. You know, I've known people who are called to government. They're called to run for public office. You know, so much of the time, Christians have been told, you know, don't get in all that stuff. Don't go into entertainment. Don't go into government. Don't go into business. Everybody should go into the ministry. What that wound up was, we had nobody godly in government, nobody godly in Hollywood, but we had a lot of people that weren't called into public ministry saying and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. You know, there are some people that have no business pastoring churches. I don't care what their mama said. <laughs> you know? But sometimes it has been taught, and, and true right now in some aspects of our society now, 
If you are a man and if somebody sees you have a passion for God, it's automatically assumed you're a preacher. Right? Yep. I mean, I've seen it. It's automatically assumed, well, you must be a preacher. No, maybe you're, you're called to be in government. Maybe you're called to be in business. You know, not necessarily. That's kind of a sad commentary, I think. You know, we should, have, we should have everybody fulfilling whatever their calling is and let it be light spread in every aspect of society. I know that there are some people that just don't, they don't believe. You know, that I've heard people say, God's called me to Hollywood. Well, who called? God doesn't call people to Hollywood. <laughs> oh, really? Is there some place of human life that God would not want his light? Is there some place that God would not want See, we got to get out of that thing of, of we're just you know, supposed to stay in the church. Understand that we're here to impact and influence every aspect of society and every aspect of life. And for everybody who has been laboring under this false conception, well, you're not really spiritual if you're not a preacher. Y'all have to get set free from that. Because there are people of God that are called to do every aspect of, of work, every aspect of of human existence were called into those things to build society and also so once we know what our gifts are know what our calling are callings are then we also are learning to implement kingdom principles you know kingdom principles don't just work in spiritual warfare they don't just work in aspects inside the church but they work outside the church in your workplace wherever you're called whether it's education business doesn't matter the kingdom principles will work there. And so what God is after is that you and I become living epistles, the Bible says, read of all men, so that we have had such a mark of heaven upon our lives that this is who we are. I remember one time many years ago I had a, um, I was working for a, a particular business, and um, they had messed up my paycheck. And they had come in and they had just paid me way over what they were supposed to. And so I went back in there and I said, you know, somebody's messed up my paycheck here. And the guy was shocked that I would even say anything. I said, but they messed up my paycheck. I'm not supposed to have anywhere near this much money, you know. But the fact that I brought it in, it's just because this was who I am, because it wasn't right, that's all. This wasn't right because it was not going to be right for the business. It wasn't going to be right for me. For one thing, Holy Spirit was not going to let me get away with that. So I was coming in. You know, and I know that it's one thing if they wanted to bless me and give me a bonus for no good reason, but this was a mistake that somebody had made. And that meant also that whoever made that mistake was liable to have their job in jeopardy. True? So it's out of concern for what's right, but also preciousness of other people that makes us step up. And so we want to implement kingdom principles so that we are productive and that we are life-giving in whatever aspect that we're doing. We want to live in a way that lets our light shine so God's glorified. Open your Bibles now to Mark chapter 4, please. So this is the mark of the heavenly being stamped upon us in every aspect of our lives. Find out who we are, how God has uniquely gifted and called us, get the freedom, get the healing that we need, and begin to bear not just the mark of the natural, but the mark of the spiritual, of the heavenly. You know, we've heard in the last number of years the little saying, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus do if he was, you know, an employee at my job? What would he do if he was my boss? What would Jesus do if he was in our school? What would Jesus do? You know, he wouldn't stand around and preach all the time. 
would he? And if he was punching a time clock, he'd be there on time, wouldn't he? Hello, would he be there on time? And would he be working or would he be preaching? He'd be working. I have to say that because every now and Christians think that when they're on their boss's time clock, it's okay to preach. Folks, when you're on your boss's time clock, you do the job that you were hired to do. Does that make sense? Have you all ever worked with one of those people? Shoo. <laughs> I mean, that's why, honestly, that's why some folks don't want to deal with church people. Because they said they won't work. Isn't that a shame? You know, we should be the most productive people that are at the workplace. Most productive. Hallelujah. All right, Mark chapter 4, 24. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. Take care what you listen to. That's a really important phrase. Look at verse 25. Well, let me just back up here. Why does he say take care what you listen to? Because what you listen to is going to influence how you think. It's going to influence your internal belief system. Right? What you listen to, what you pay attention to, is going to change opinions, attitudes, thought processes, beliefs, whatever's going on inside. You know, what we have seen, if you just kind of just paid attention a little bit and watched over the last number of years in our society, how are we watching public opinion change about key issues? How do they change? It's because somebody raises a dissenting opinion, gets somebody else to agree with them, and then it is repeated over and over and over until time passes and nobody questions it anymore. They just, they just accept it. This can be positive. It can be negative. For example, you know, I would say uh, 60 years ago when movies were made, 60 years ago, all the heroes drank hard liquor and smoked like, you know, chimneys, right? All of them did. The tough guy, the cool girl, all of them, that's what they did. And so for years and years, a whole generation came up thinking, well, we all have to smoke like chimneys and drink hard liquor because that's cool because that's what you do. And a whole generation was raised up. If I want to be an adult, if I want to be cool, then I need to smoke like a chimney and drink hard liquor. I don't even think that's true, right? Okay. All right. What happened back in the 60s and 70s? There began to be, uh, the Surgeon General began to put out statements about the dangers of cigarette smoking. We began to see voices that were being raised up in society that said, you don't need to be doing that. You need to just say no. That sort of thing has been carried out. Nowadays, how often do you see on regular TV do the characters smoke? Not very often at all, do they? It used to be everybody in the sitcoms. I mean, I love Lucy. Lucy smoked, right? But nowadays, most sitcoms, most TV shows, the characters don't smoke. And if the ones that drink hard liquor, it's usually shown as a problem not as something everybody needs to aspire to. What happened? Public opinion changed 
because somebody began to raise a dissenting voice and speak it over and over and over again. Now, that can be positive, but it influenced our society to where now we don't think that it's cool, generally speaking, we don't think it's cool to smoke cigarettes, right? As a matter of fact, now you go in most businesses, I mean, now they've got the signs, you know, no smoking, no smoking, no smoking in public places. There are some places they've outlawed it in restaurants, shopping malls, whatever. It's all outlawed. Where 60 years ago, no such thing. Everybody smoked. You, couldn't, you could not get a non-smoking hotel room 50 years ago or a non-smoking section of the restaurant or the airplane. How many of y'all ever rode an airplane before they shut down smoking? Yes. They put smoking at the back end of the plane. Does that make any difference? <laughs> <laughs> no, because all that smoke came up and it got in the front end of the plane. I'm really thankful for non-smoking flights, except, of course, now if you fly any international airlines, uh, many of them, they've got smoking all through the flight. Used to be you'd smoke in the movies. You could sit there, you know, and they had a little ashtray on the back of the seat right in front of you. Times have changed, haven't they? Why? Because somebody began to raise a dissenting voice, got some other people to agree with them, and began to speak it over and over again, and they changed public opinion. The same thing is happening right now. You look at any other issue of our life where there has been change, whether it's good or bad. What happened to, how about the concept of, of, um, of uh, gay stuff, gay rights, gay marriage, whatever? 50 years ago, 60 years ago, unheard of. Nowadays, very commonplace. I mean, it's on every, I mean, nowadays, years ago, it used to be have your, you know, token black person on your show. Now it's your token gay person on your show, right? There's been a whole lot of transformation and change just because one person. And the problem is, folks, that if we don't know why we believe what we believe and we are not paying attention to that, we're going to find ourselves being conformed to the image of society. And it's very easy when you talk to people from different generations. You get three people from three different generations in the same room and ask them an opinion on anything. And what's going to happen? You're going to find out very, very different views about right and wrong, acceptable, unacceptable, that sort of thing. So Jesus said, you've got to take heed how you hear. And Romans 12 says it's not to be conformed to the spirit of the world. Because the spirit of the world is trying to conform us into something to move us away from the things of God. No. The positive thing is we also get to be a voice of good. We can, also, we can also make public positive changes in society, just like I mentioned before about the child labor laws. There are things like that can be, that can be changed. All right. Whatever we listen to, this is going to replay. It's going to replay in your thought processes. It's going to affect your internal belief system, and it's going to change what comes out of your mouth. Right? A woman's right to... Choose? Vote, choose. Okay, I guess it depends with the generation, right? <laughs> All right, but I mean, those are phrases that we've heard over and over to where now we don't even think twice about it. You know, it's just there, okay? Verse 26 says, And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the ground. 
He goes to bed at night, gets up by day. The seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Jesus said, sowing, sowing a seed night and day, and it's going to grow even though you don't even know how. Do you know that if we're talking about transformation, there is that sowing, that repeated being influenced by the Word of God or by society or by whatever that's going to bring about transformation according to what we listen to, what gets into our thought processes, forms our opinions, and comes out of our mouths, right? Okay. How does a farmer change a landscape? You know, he goes out there and there's a field. Maybe, this, maybe it's barren. Maybe it's, you know, just a bunch of weeds. Maybe it's a vacant lot. Maybe some of you have done this with a vegetable garden in your yard. You know, it started out as it was nothing, but change the landscape to where now when you get on the plane and you fly over the country, what do you see? You see all the checkerboard or the big circles where they've got the crops out and going everywhere, right? Because somebody got in there and decided to change the landscape. So how does a farmer change the landscape? It's through an intentional process. He says, okay, right now we've got dandelions, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to change this landscape to where it's not dandelions, it's going to grow corn. I'm going to change it from something being just, you know, with no irrigation, but I'm going to begin to dig ditches and bring irrigation in. I'm going to turn this into a fertile field. And so he does so by an intentional process. The same thing happens with a building, a developer. He comes to a, to a, a either a vacant land or he comes to an old part of town and we've watched them come in there and they've torn down buildings, right? They've torn up concrete. I've, I've seen them tear up roads, everything. And you wonder, what has this guy got in mind? What's coming up? And you see a sign, coming soon, la-da-da-da-da, whatever it is. And, um, and then you go by, you know, sometime later, and it looks completely different than what it had looked like before. Because see, the farmer and the builder had a vision for something that was not yet seen. They had a vision for something that only existed as a blueprint or a plan inside their mind. But they got a vision about what could be, not what about what was. And so through an intentional process, you know, the farmer doesn't say, you know, I know that corn will probably grow in that field over there. Sure would be nice if some corn grew. And he could drive by there day after day. Be nice if corn grew. That'd be nice. Wouldn't that be pretty? Wouldn't they be pretty? Have nice green. You know, I could probably sell a lot of corn, make some money. It'd probably be good. Wouldn't that be nice if we had some corn? I wish somebody would just give me some corn. You know, farmers don't think like that, do they? They begin to plot. They say, okay, I've got so many acres. I need to do step one, step two, step three. And he is intentional about when he sows, about when he plows, everything he's got to do to bring forth the harvest in the right season. 
He is intentional. The same thing happens with the builder. He looks down and sees, sees an old shopping center. It's outdated. It's vacant. It's got problems. He says, we're going to bulldoze this thing. And instead, we're going to put state-of-the-art new transformation, new work inside of there. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man that casts seed on the ground. This seed is going to sprout and it's going to grow. And there is coming a process of time in which it's going to produce. It depends upon what is being sown into the ground. He says the mustard seed is smaller than all other seeds. It looks like something so tiny. The mustard seed was the smallest type of seed that these people knew about. It was so very tiny. He says, yes, it will grow this tremendous plant. When you look at a teeny tiny little mustard seed, how many of y'all seen some very small flower seeds before? I mean, I've seen some seeds, they are so little, you think it can't do much of anything. It must take a handful to produce. But it doesn't. It takes one under the right conditions and it will produce. Because the potential that's in the seed is not realized until it's properly placed in the ground, it's properly watered and cared for, and then you begin to see the potential come forth. You know what? God has put the seed of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Bible says we have the, the deposit. He's put that deposit of the Holy Spirit. There is a potential that is not yet realized in you and in me. But the seed that God's put on the inside of us and with the Word of God, we want to give attention to those things and allow it to have its work on the inside of us so that what we manifest in our lives is something that is productive, something that is transformation, not just how things used to be. Small things that cannot be easily seen can manifest and affect things in the larger world. You know, for a long time, people did not believe in viruses and bacteria. Didn't believe in them for hundreds of years, thousands of years, because they could not believe there was something so invisible that could actually make a person sick or even die. And so they conjured everything up to all kinds of crazy ideas, right? Well, we know now that just because it's too small for you to see doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Do you know the same thing has happened now with our understanding about what is reality? That just because you can't see things in the spirit realm doesn't mean they don't exist. And just like bacteria and virus are too tiny for you to see, they do have an impact upon the natural realm. And Jesus is saying that even the seed of the Holy Spirit, the seed of the Word of God, even though you can't see it, it can have a tremendous impact upon the natural world. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So if a farmer or a builder is going to change the current reality, change the way it looks, they are going to have to implement a process of change, but also go with bringing the blueprint that's in their minds, the plans in their mind, into a present reality. And in the spirit realm, we do this with words. Remember the story of when Jesus was passing by the fig tree? And he passed by the fig tree, and there was no fruit on it. And so what did Jesus do? He cursed the fig tree, and he said, No man shall eat fruit from you again. Now let's think about it. If you had decided, if you and I, naturally speaking, had decided, you know what that? That fig tree is not producing. What would probably be the first thing that we would do if we wanted to get rid of it? 
I'd go get an axe, right? Go get an axe, cut it down, get you some heavy-duty weed killer, round up something, uh, poison it, burn it, chop it down. You and I would think of something like that to get rid of that, of that unproductive fig tree. We'd dig it up and say, give me something that's going to give me some figs later on, right? So what did Jesus do? He didn't use a natural method. He used a spiritual method that was much more powerful than if he chopped it down with an axe. For one thing, he didn't work up a sweat. <laughs> All he said was, nobody's going to eat from you again, and the next day they go back, and what's happened is dried up from the roots. Because he used a spiritual force, the force of words, to change the natural reality. He changed it with words and with unbelief. And so it doesn't matter Folks, what the current situation is that you and I are facing, you can change it with spiritual weapons, with spiritual principles of speaking God's word and with faith in that. Jesus said in Mark 11, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you receive them, they'll be granted you. When you stand, pray and forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Jesus is teaching us that words will change reality. Words will change matter. What I've taught this some time ago, but what we have learned in quantum physics is that matter responds to words. You know, researchers have also done, done some work and they have discovered that there are parts of your human brain that are only accessed by words by the human voice. There are some places in your brain that are only accessed by the human voice. wonder why God did that. Because it's important what we say and what we listen to. And they have found that voice has a larger impact upon the rest of your brain than anything else more than upon what you see, more than upon what you, you touch, but voices will have a word. How many times have you and I experienced that is that we didn't remember where we were, but we remember what was said. You know, we can still hear, and maybe it's been a good thing or a bad thing, but sometimes we hear that same replay of that same thing that was said to us 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. We hear it just like it was yesterday morning. Because there is a place in the brain that is very open and responsive to the human voice. So why did Jesus say to take care what you listen to? Because what you hear is going to impact how you think, right? And so when you hear the voice of the Lord saying, you are my beloved, you've been accepted in the beloved, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Those words go down deep into your heart. But if you hear things like, what an idiot. You're so stupid. Nothing ever works out for you. I don't know why they hired you. You know, when you hear those kinds of things, you're going to negate what potential God is wanting to bring out of us. Hallelujah. we got to get past it, folks. Matter responds to words. Quantum physics also teaches us that, that matter responds to your expectation. In the experiments they did with the electrons, the scientists discovered that the electron was where each one expected it to be. If scientist A said he thought it would be north and scientist B thought it would be east, both of them got the identical thing they were expecting. 
The nature of the universe is it's desired to respond, it is designed to respond to your belief system and to your words. That is a powerful principle. You know, it's in the Word of God, but it hasn't been until recent years with the discoveries in science we're finding out, you know what, the Bible's really true. When Jesus said, you shall say to this mountain, it's not just the words, there has to be the belief, has to be there too. Well, what's going to happen to get your words and your belief together? It's going to be agreement with God and His Word, right? And growing in faith to where we believe that, we, that whatever we say will happen. Jesus said, you could curse the fig tree, it, it, it would die for you too. How many fig trees we curse lately, right? How many things have we spoken to and we expected that we were going to see a, tra a change because we spoke it in faith and because we believed it? Amen? Yeah. My mother cursed a bunch of webworms in a tree one day. They all dropped dead overnight. You know? My nephew cursed a house fly that was bothering him while he was working. It dropped dead as he cursed it. You know? As you be, as adding words plus your belief system, the universe is designed to respond to that. That's the nature of reality. Jesus, you know, the, all of creation responds to the voice of the Lord. And when you and I speak the scriptures, when we mix faith, agreement with the scriptures, and we speak them, you know that creation responds? Creation responds to that. Hallelujah. That's how miracles happen. You know, the, Bible, the Bible says that what is seen, what is, what is seen is only temporary. Everything that you and I see is subject to change, right? It's subject to change. You can have a glass of ice, and you and I know that over a period of time, if it sits on the countertop, it's all going to melt. It's not going to remain ice. It's going to change. So how many things are you and I looking at right now that we feel are solid, they are fixed, but they're not? There's something that we have just left untouched. You know, some people have felt they've entered to a place of despair. You know, my finances will never get better. My health will never get better. My relationships will never get better. And instead, you're buying into an illusion of what is true. It's not really true because, because reality can change. Hallelujah. Do you know that in the natural realm, you only see 3% of the light spectrum? There's 97% of it you can't see. Do you know that the scientists tell us that sound has color? It has color. I've heard there's a group of people, I forget the name of it, but there are some people who have an ability, because of the way their brains work, they have an ability to see color to sound. I heard a woman talk about it. She said, uh, and, and many times attach taste and smell to sound as well. This one woman they were interviewing, she said her husband's voice was the color of buttered toast. Isn't that something? Now, to me, that's a warm, fuzzy feel. You know, buttered toast, buttered toast. I also read some research that said toddlers were able to distinguish um, as high-pitched and low-pitched sounds, as high-pitched sounds were coming from white balls and low-pitched were coming from black balls. I don't know, but they were able to distinguish something, I guess, due to the way their circuitry is still working as their brains are developing. But, you know, there are things like that that we've not thought about that are that are the nature of reality, the nature of how things are in the natural realm. So if you can only see 3% of what's going on, 
Why would you base all your decisions upon 3%? I look at my checkbook, I know what it says. Yeah, but that's 3% of reality. There's 97% of reality that's not recorded in your checkbook. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. It's a spiritual truth that if we'll believe it and apply it, it'll change what appears in your checkbook. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, the same thing happened when, remember, Elisha and his servant were out and they were surrounded by the enemy army, army, and the servant got up and said, oh, we're going to die, we're going to die because there's an enemy army out here. And Elijah said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened his eyes and showed him the hills were covered with the army of God, the chariots of God. He didn't know they were there. He didn't create them there. He said, open his eyes to that reality that he can't perceive. You see, Elijah was a man who didn't have to see them because his faith, his heart, was in the realm of God. It was not in the natural realm. You and I, are, are it is intentioned by God that we get lifted up out of just the natural realm to where we're just operating upon what we're seeing. And God wants our thoughts to become thinking like his thoughts. We begin to think, if I speak to this mountain, it will move. If I speak to that fig tree, it will be cursed. If I speak healing, it will manifest. If I speak deliverance, it will happen. If I speak change, it will change in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's look at um, Deuteronomy chapter 28. The thoughts and beliefs that we carry around us have an energy, and they are attracting either Good things or bad things? We're either attracting demons with our negativity and our fear and our unforgiveness, or we're attracting the angels of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by thinking about the Word of God, by thinking in faith and hope and love. And what's coming out of our mouth is either attracting something negative or it's attracting something positive. Let's look here at Deuteronomy 28. God wants to do a makeover in your life. By the time the makeover is done, your life will look like verses 1 to 14. By the time the makeover is done, not only will your life be changed, but you'll be transferring other, transforming other people's lives. Now we're going to look here at these verses and let's add, adapt some of these agricultural terms and adapt it to modern setting. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1, now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God being careful to do all his commandments which I command you the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, that is your children, and the, offspring, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Okay, since most of us or all of us are not agricultural, so what's this talking about? This is how you earn your living, right? These were agricultural people, so their wealth was measured in their flocks, 
and how many cows they had and how many corn crops they had. So that's not us. So we would say, you know, blessed is our, um, our job, our investments, our projects, our clients, our businesses, however it is that we are gaining our livelihood. All right, verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. This speaks of your pantry and your kitchen. Okay, that's good. Full pantry, kitchen full of good food. All right. Verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns. Okay, we don't have barns, but what do we have? We have savings accounts. We have investments. Right? That's your barns, place that stores your wealth. Okay? And in all you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, so all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. In the offspring of your body, the offspring of your beast, and the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Not that it's a sin to borrow, but that you won't need to borrow. Verse th- would that be nice? Buy my house without a mortgage? Sounds good to me. Buy a car without a payment? All right. Okay, not borrowing. 13, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. What's that speaking of? Favor, promotion, right? Being exalted. You will be above and not you will not be underneath if you listen to the commands of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully. Do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. Jim, would you come and would you play quietly, please? I'd like for us to look over these verses again for a few minutes while Jim plays. This is what God's inheritance is for your life. This is what your life is to look like. This is a life of blessing, a life of prosperity, that whatever you put your hand to works, that everything that comes against you fails that you succeed, that you are a blessing to many people, not just to have your needs met, but you're able to be a blessing, a source to other people, right? To be the one who lends and who gives, not the one who always has to borrow and always has to get. I want you to look over these verses and look and see which of these promises is speaking to you right now. Which promises is it? What is it that you need to see happening in your life right now? What the Holy Spirit's drawing your attention to are the seeds of your heavenly makeover. That your life will change. And maybe up to this point, all you've known is barrenness, all you've known is sickness, all you've known is failure, doesn't matter what you've known. This is the seeds of your future. The seed is going to go down deep into our hearts. It's going to produce... We're going to give attention to what we're listening to and make sure it's in harmony with these verses right here.
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to each one of us. Which of these promises do you want us to lay hold of? Which of these promises, Lord God, is the seed of our heavenly makeover? Which of these things are you wanting us to give over to you, to the authority of your word? To give our thought processes, our belief systems over, our words of our mouth over. To be in agreement with what you're wanting to bring, that transformation you're wanting to bring. I ask you to speak to us, Holy Spirit. If you would close your eyes, I'm going to read this scripture to you, and I want you to just allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commands, which I command you to this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you, if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They will come against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. As he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your beast, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend many nations but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you only will be above and you will not be underneath. If you listen to the voice and the commandments of the Lord your God, which command you today to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left, go after other gods to serve them. I'd like for everybody to write out a statement based upon the promise 
which promise of these that speaks to you. Write out something that you can speak on a daily basis. I abound in prosperity, for example. What I put my hands to prospers. God makes me above and not beneath. I have a place of, of favor. I'm the head, not the tail. Write out a statement of what promise speaks to you about what God is going to do in your life. What your life is going to look like. So that you can speak on a daily basis. God's blessing causes my business to prosper. God's blessing causes my investments to pay off. My family is blessed. My family is established as a holy people to the Lord. The Lord is setting me high above the competition. I prosper in all I put my hands to. See, the Lord is the expert. He's the one that knows what our potential is. And so He's going to speak to our purpose. He's going to come in with advice and insight that might make for some change. There may be some attitudes we have to let go of, some habits we have to let go of. But we're going to put ourselves in His hands. Lord God, we are thankful, Lord, that You love us too much, too much to leave us how we are. But Lord God, that You've got a purpose, an intention, and a destiny for each one of us to fulfill. And that, Lord, that You are, are speaking towards our future. Lord, you're giving us insights from the Word. You're giving us inspired ideas, dreams and visions, prophetic words of what you want to do in our lives and how you want us to be light and salt. The end result, Lord God, is far better than we could have done on our own. What we can do so far has brought us to this point. But Lord, we're going to sow seeds into our future. We're going to speak words of life and speak words of destiny and transformation. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.